Thank you very much for your time today. Um, first, let's get your, your official title out of the way, shall we? Um, I'm going to stumble over this, so forgive me. So your, your official title goes something like Lee Strutt, PGDIP, MG, AGS, CGCS, MS. Do you think anyone else in the industry has so many letters after their name? <laughs> or actually understands what all <laughs> <of> those are? <laughs> um, I, I don't think there are. Um, I guess it's just an accumulation of the, the different qualifications that I've uh, achieved along the way. And uh, these are just the accreditation letters after my name. And yeah, from that we can probably guess that education is quite important to you in, in your, your own career. And we might touch on later you know, how you feel about education across the, the wider sphere of the turf care industry. Um, but where I'd really like to start, Lee, is um, you started out, as I understand it, at Bath Golf Club some yes. years ago. Um, what has kept you motivated through those years since then to, to this point now in your career? Um, I think that, like many people that got started in this industry, is, is that there's a, a love and a passion for, for doing the job. You really enjoy it, you know, working outdoors and some of the, the work that you would do, but, you know, you'd, you'd finish some mowing and you'd sort of, you could see an appreciation of that. I guess as I've gone through this industry is that uh, I've kind of, as I've developed outside doing the, the cultural practices, I've then gone on to management and, and each element motivates me to then, well, I'm sure I could do a bit better and, and there's always something new to learn um, and how you would incorporate that in your, in your daily work. We touch on education again there, um, Lee. You were holding down a full-time job, and at that time you also put yourself through something I'm sure was quite rigorous, which was a, a sports turf management, HNC and HND, and I think that was uh, a also followed by a five-year diploma of a postgraduate uh, course for Cranfield. Yes. Now, that must have been tough going if you're working full-time and then you're doing that in the evenings, I assume? Or? Yeah, well, quite interesting, but actually going back a bit from there, I, I started out doing the old City and Guilds. Oh, okay. system where we used to go as like a block release so uh, we used to do anything between five and six weeks a year so you'd have an individual uh, one week set out for a different period of, of, of the year and that was really good to really I guess um, get involved in, the, in the, the whole subject matter and, and really communicate it with your colleagues and, and listen to the lecturer so that was kind of easier then but the modern day education has been very much um, one day a week, evening education. Um, it was always interesting because you, you'd, you'd work during the day and then go in the evening and you'd, you'd do study and you would mix with other uh, fellow students of, you know, that were there to learn. So it wasn't difficult to do that. I guess the only hardest thing, as, as with, with anyone working outside, we start really early and sort of to, to sort of start work at six um, and then sort of then go on to college and finish at eight, nine o'clock at night. It, it just probably fatigue used to be the hardest part, but there was always good banter and there was always something to learn and uh, I think all greenkeepers and groundsmen love a good debate, so that always used to just keep you going. Lee, I think you started out back in 1984. In that 30 years or so that you've been in the industry, you've been at various clubs, you must have picked up a lot of lessons on the way. Uh, anything in particular that enhanced your education? Um, I think, 
let's say education comes into sort of two packages. We've got yeah. formal education where we go to uh, uh, colleges, but there's kind of uh, kind of uh, another area where we're looking at. Uh, I would go and do course visits, do stuff with the with the association, and I think also having uh, mentors. Um, I had a few a few people that I kind of really like their work, and I really like the style in which that they worked in, um, and just kind of really learned a lot from them, even though I never worked for them, I kind of appreciated what they were doing and then I kind of looked at my own style and looked how could I emulate what they were doing. Um, I think one thing I've kind of learned from education is education and knowledge to be better could be gained from anybody and everybody. It could be one of my peers, it could be a fellow colleague, it could have been one of my employees. I've had plenty of trainees that they've done something or they've said something that's actually made me think that I sort of think actually that's a really good idea I can use that or even question some of my own beliefs and challenge it in such a way that you sort of think well yes I am right or no actually I need to change I need to change my approach um, and I think over those 30 years we've got a change in culture work culture has changed um, we had something very recently here that we were discussing, we changed our, our work pattern here. And I remember when I was young, uh, Wednesday afternoons were shut, no, nothing was open on the Sunday. And how culture's changed now, where we have, uh, we, we really are in the service industry that we have to work every day. So part of that learning curve to me is education, but it's never been formal, it's understanding the problems and actually how we find the solutions. and then. You know how maybe even going outside different industry sectors to find those solutions. So problem solving seems to be something that is is key to your fundamental operating. Idea. Yeah, I would I would say I you know I wouldn't. I think I'm I'm pretty reasonable at doing it, but it interests me that you know I guess with most uh, guys in this industry and, and girls in this industry is, is that I kind of go home and I'm kind of mulling it over my head. I sort of think. I'm, I'm pretty confident there's a solution in there somewhere that I can find, and you know, I'm kind of my brain's kind of geared up to problem solving. I can't spell, uh, <laughs> but I can resolve. I can work out how using experience and knowledge um, and things that I've seen that I can pick up that I think I can oh, actually. I know I, I can. I can crack this, crack this problem. Not just as a say maybe a plaster, but just as a proper fix. Okay. Uh, so a long-term solution rather than yeah, and and I think also it's just um, you know it's like find the solution, implementing it, reviewing it, and then looking at well how can we just keep this moving forward. So your first course manager role where you was at Richmond Golf Club, as I understand it. So yes. you learned a lot, I'm sure there. Um, how did that prepare you for the big move? Which you know I think up until that point. G West must have been a, a huge, huge move for you. Though. Yeah, I mean, going to uh, Richmond Golf Club was uh, was a big deal. Um, I went there in '94 as a as the deputy number two, mm -hmm. um, and in '97 the course manager Alex Armitage retired, and the, the club had the belief in me to promote me. And in that period of ten years, we undertook a lot of. Uh, refurbishment work on the golf course. We start tightening up a lot of barriers, a lot of barriers, trying to address, and then, um, and then the, the club had more confidence that they wanted to achieve more. So we had uh, in '98 we put a new irrigation system in. We'd done a woodland management program. Uh, we'd done some drainage. We'd done, we we built the bunkers. We'd done some tea and green construction. Um, I then got involved in some 
civil engineering projects where we've redone all the driveway, the car park with electric and drainage. And part of that was I kind of really love that um, a very diverse uh, project. So not only just maintaining the golf course, but undertaking a project as well. So I kind of, uh, I really got a hunger and a thirst for, well, I've done all of this. I kind of want to upscale and I kind of want to do it on a bigger scale. Um, the Opportunity West come up. And at what point did you get involved then? Uh, in uh, the G West project started in uh, August two thousand and seven. I started in Mar in February two thousand and eight as construction and uh, growing manager at uh, G West. Um, this really much come about from networking in the industry. Uh, coming back to education, one of the benefits that I've had because I've been going to college and education venues for so long I've got to know so many people and, and sitting in the classroom somewhere else that you, you sort of make some really good friendships and um, I, I nurtured a really good relationship with uh, Jimmy Kidd yeah. said that I was really interested um, showed him everything that that I could do um, the, the G West opportunity came up and I was very fortunate to be uh, selected for that position so what did your role involve there on that 650-acre site? I think? It was a 650-acre site. I worked for Dave McClaykid. My responsibility was to uh, uh, help the day-to-day -day architect, which was Paul Kimber, with the construction, and we had drainage crews and irrigation crews. But my primary role was to set up um, specifications and method statements of how uh, we were going to grow and we were, how we were going to con construct the golf greens, how we were going to do all the specifications from identifying root zones to seeding to fertility plans, um, machinery purchasing, hiring staff, setting up schedules. Um, and I guess one of the, the, the great opportunities I had was we had a blank sheet of paper. Yeah. So in some respects, it was great that we didn't have any bad habits and we could frame everything that we wanted. The difficulty was, I was then under pressure that I had a blank piece of paper and I actually had to put print on that paper and it all had to make sense. Um, and it had to work. Uh, well, it had to work. <laughs> well, let's say financially it had to work, but I had to, I guess this is the point of where, you know, you separate yourself that you have to put your reputation on the line and make that work. So anything that you put forward, if it did work, because it was in such an intense commercial environment, very way that very quickly you could be seen as well actually you're not doing the job and then you'll just be let go. So I think six years you were there? Oh six years, yeah six years. So I assume you, one you did something right to have lasted six <laughs> years, two um, do you feel proud about what you achieved there? Uh, I think G West uh, for me is a massive achievement um, not just me but the team that I worked with and, and, uh, and we, had a, we had a really great time it's still very much under the radar, and that's very much uh, the, the owner's request. Um, but, you know, we look at it that a 650-acre site, nearly 200 acres of it was a golf course. Um, we undertook uh, some, we put some water features in, uh, we'd, done the, we'd done the bunker program, we transplanted two and a half hectares, uh, two and a half acres of heather, uh, we'd done some all greens for reconstruction there. We set up work patterns where the guys work six days on, three days off, so we always had cover every day. Uh, we set everything up from scratch. So I feel that 
I guess everything that I've learned, I've applied, and everything that I've applied, I've kind of learned from, okay. um, and and had a really good diversity uh, that um, that that sort of really sort of you know set me up as I am now, really. So that prepared you for where you are now, Royal Automobile Club. Totally different undertaking here. You've got something that's well established, has a history, has its own culture, um, whereas you were creating a culture before. Yeah. What are the challenges here for you um, around the old course and the coronation course and the team that you've got? It was really important. Um, one of the uh, one of my aims was leaving Richmond was I kind of I understood how a membership club works and going to G West I kind of it was going to a new commercial environment where everything on paper it all had to work and we built stuff from scratch. It was a clean sheet white paper and we developed everything. One of my goals was was to leave a membership, go commercial and have the potential to go back to a membership golf club and actually bring some of the you know ideas and views of how we can modernize a membership golf club. So I think going from G West, going from Richmond to G West and now coming back to the Royal Automobile Club, it has you know a very important membership. Their ambitions are, are, are extremely high um, and it was trying to what I'm able to do now is is bring this uh, skill set of identifying how we operate now how I operated in G West um, and trying to forge a, a, a new culture and a different drive of improving the development at, at a fair price. The challenges that you've got here are there any particular ones that uh, you feel are higher than others? Um, I think part of, I guess probably the, the biggest change that we've probably made here so far already is our work practices. The guys used to work Monday to Friday, uh, they would work Saturday and Sunday, and then the following week they would have a loo day. So we would have peaks and troughs in our uh, manpower availability, um, and then, but we couldn't be consistent in, how, in our approach of maintaining the golf course. So we've just uh, rolled out a new system where the guys work six days on and I have two days off um, so that we have continuity that we've got. The guys get an equal break, and but we have um, the same amount of headcount every day. Uh, and having that consistency means that we can apply that to the golf courses so we can have daily set up more consistent. Grass grows consistently, so we need to kind of manage in the same same way. And this has probably been quite a big change for the team because it's very much uh, new and very much unheard of. So it's changing the culture of we trying to need to fit our needs for the membership and maintaining the golf course, but we also uh, we need to kind of fit in the needs of our employees by them having a fair break away from the golf course sure. and, a, and, and, a, and a, a very clear line where when they're working and when they're not working. So a better work-life balance. So to bring that back to an established uh, uh, company membership, I think has been a huge, a huge uh, uh, goal already. And are the, the guys on board with the, the new regime, as it were? Yeah, it was it was very interesting. You know, we had a couple of individuals that were kind of quite didn't quite get it, and they was quite hostile to it. Um, but uh, within the first week, uh, one of the guys came back to me and sort of said, I kind of I had a chat with my wife and, and it kind of really worked. And he said one of the key things was 
because my one of my days or more one of my two days fell off during the week um, he, mm. he said to his son that he was going to take him to school and his, and his son was mm. you know proud to go around saying oh dad's taking me to school and oh, he yeah. said he said that was the work-life balance that I suddenly realized that was what was yeah. important he was having those moments when I could he said I took my son to school he said I enjoyed fishing he said I had a cheeky fish for a couple of hours and then he said I finished that and then I went and picked up my son up. and he said I would have never have had that on the normal Monday to Friday. No. And it was very interesting how everyone's life, lives are changing, you know, cultures are playing, you know, there is that, I want to be served now, and it's trying to change that. But trying to give the team the benefits of that as well. So that's a, a big challenge. Another big challenge that uh, we were talking about earlier, um, off camera, was the desire for the Royal Automobile Club to have its course in the top 100. Um, one, that must be you know, a big part of your brief. Two, how are you going about achieving that? Uh, it's a huge part of my brief. <laughs> uh, I kind of, um, I've been trying to explain to the to the team really that we have to respect that many golf clubs in the top one hundred and more so, um, they're all striving to be better year on year. I kind of explained to the team that you know everyone's running, but we just got to learn to run faster than everyone else to play catch up. Um, and as we grow and we go forward, um, we put benchmarks all across the greens for our, um, all across the playing surfaces from um, firmness and speed, moisture content and thatch and organic matter, so that we can start tracking and fine tuning how we can. You know, elevate ourselves and our and our standards across the golf course, but primarily to to meet the needs of the membership. They feel that being a member of the Royal Automobile Club um, is reflected on their facilities, and the golf course is one of those. And hopefully, uh, within the, the period that we set out, that uh, we we mm. will achieve our goal. And you know, that journey still continues afterwards. Mm. Part of that must be the visual impact that the course has. And, you know, that goes hand in hand with both for the membership and for you know, the, the desire to hit the top 100. Does that mean sometimes you have to make a decision that's more about aesthetics than playability? Uh, yes, I mean, I guess, you know, we, uh, you know, unfortunately we eat with our eyes and, mm -hmm. and golf is no different from that. And, you know, when members are down and they have guests, they, there's a level of expectation. They expect that standard and uh, quality to be there, um, and it's you know sometimes it's not necessarily an easy ride, but the key thing is is about consistency and keep going forward. Our progress, uh, we won't have a straight line. We know that we'll have peaks and troughs, um, but we need to have these troughs to identify, you know, under certain conditions, our performance will drop off. And how can we resolve this? So this comes back to project ma um, problem solving again. Yeah. So it's identifying, well, we did all the three key things, but one of them failed. Well, why is that? Is that was, was it the product? Was it the weather? Was it how we applied it? And I guess fine-tuning. And then when we know that we can track our progress and we can track our successes and we can marry those up. So as we go forward, we're looking to reduce our um, parts of management that don't perform very well and enhance the ones that do perform very well so that we get those married up and this will be the sense of 
trying to run faster or to improve the quality of the golf course um, at a quicker pace than maybe someone that's already established that, that quality. If we move on to your, your team now then, Lee, um, what sort of size team have you got here to look after the courses in particular? Uh, we have uh, 22 staff here. Uh, I have a uh, deputy course manager, uh, Matt Scoby, and I have a, a, a number three, uh, Simon Glover, and we have a uh, full-time mechanic, Andy Early, and a uh, second mechanic, uh, Ken Seeger. And the rest of the team are made up through uh, senior greenkeepers, greenkeepers, and, and junior greenkeepers. Um, this, again, is something that we've never had here. We kind of wanted to break down the roles so that it made it easier for people to necessarily progress through the um, uh, like a promotional chain but also is that if we don't have um, uh, positions to fill that people sit comfortably in the levels they are and so you know we might be looking at uh, recruiting some people that are say semi-retired yeah. but we don't need them as senior greenkeepers or as greenkeepers they might undertake you know, menial tasks like that might be just raking bunkers and moving the tees, but it's fitting the right roles with the right positions. And showing that career progression, I guess, yeah. is important for, for all grounds. Yeah, well, you know, the majority of them, I'm sure, want to progress, and a lot of them will want to end up you know, doing a role like yours in the future. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting through, throughout my career, I found that sort of roughly 10% of the industry want to be in my position. 90% actually don't, but those 90% actually enjoy being either the guy that just comes in, rakes the bunkers, and then he'll go home and he can go he can go fishing or he can do other stuff, yeah. something else. There's some guys that really like being a deputy or really like just being, I really like being the spray tech guy, I really like doing the irrigation, yeah. and this is the identifying the guys that really want to be in management and guys that kind of just sit somewhere in between at different levels. And I guess it's getting the most out of them and the company providing the very best for them. So that might be, uh, we might have a guy that's like really likes spraying, so we put more of the spraying courses, but he doesn't want to be a manager. But I can get more out of him by training him, fine-tuning his training in the very specific yeah. area that he wants. So we're back to training and education again. And are there certain steps that you take to pass on your individual knowledge? <laughs> I don't know actually. I, I guess really I just react to if the guys, I, I say to the guys, my door's always open. Anything they want to learn, you know, they, they only have to ask. I do a lot of, uh, I do some work at BTME doing workshops. This is the continue to learn. Yeah, this is the continue to learn. But I, I've done um, other workshops elsewhere. We had uh, Bigger Use, the um, So You Want to Be Promoted. Yeah. That was born out of my previous deputy at G West, who's now of course manager Grant Frogley. We were sat in the office one day, and we were having a cup of coffee, and we were talking about uh, career development, and we thought of a slightly different take on how we would uh, approach the subject and how we would deliver it. Uh, and we went to Bigger to do a pilot scheme, um, and they loved it, and they rolled it out throughout the country. So it's kind of it's been interesting that I've get involved at different things at different levels. So I have, you know, I support a lot of people. Some people I support through Facebook. Um, my guys come in, my previous people, that uh, guys that used to, or, and girls used to work for me. 
Um, I do some stuff with GCSAA. I'm just, I find it incredibly interesting, and I just, that just takes my interest, and so I just get involved. And you encourage and actively make available to your guys here yeah. education program. Yeah, I mean, I mean, edu you know, our education program could be a simple one, one on one, and we'll go out on the golf course and we'll talk about using the mowers and identifying the quality cut. You know, what might affect. You know, why was the cut poor? Was it how was the machine set up? What checks have we done? Time of the year, the ground. So. It could be just passing on my experience and knowledge that way, or it could be a small team or a group, um, and just whichever way. I mean, my way is not the only way. I'm just putting a different slant on it. I'm, I'm, I guess I would probably be the one that challenges the views of, well, why do you think that? Why did you say that? Why, why would we do that? So that, you know, as much of them substantiating what they're saying and, and their understanding on it, as much as I'm questioning, you know, I should be, uh, I should expect for them to turn around and say, well, why did I turn around and say, this is our setup, so I should be able to go through and say, well, this is what we're doing, why we're doing it, and challenge my own beliefs to make sure that, yes, I am on track. You know? um, we mentioned earlier on networking helped get you where you are today in terms of the contacts that you have. You're obviously still in touch and share your expertise and knowledge with you know, other groundskeepers and, and people you've worked with in the past. That's a common theme that we've seen through, you know, groundsmen and groundkeepers. There seems to be a great camaraderie and this willingness to share, which is not something I've seen in other industries that mm -hmm. I've, I've covered. That's a real strong benefit. You've got suppliers and manufacturers that offer a lot of training. Um, do you make use of that for your guys? Yeah, I mean, we have, uh, we've I've had some stuff from um, Farm Europe, some of the manufacturers, Toro, John Deere, um, and Textron. I've done a lot of work with Textron with the Future Turf Mansion Initiative. So they're kind of really good. Um, a lot of time with these manufacturers, you just need to ask. Uh, one of our kind of offshoot suppliers when I was at G West was we used European Turf Laboratories in Stirling. Right. Um, and uh, we got to know Sharon Bruce really well. And I ended up sending uh, one of my guys spending the whole day in the labs just to understand when we send samples in, how do they process the samples? You know, how is those numbers generated? Because I just get a report form, uh, a sheet with a load of numbers, and I'm trying to teach someone. Now I understand what they mean, but I need to kind of pass it on to someone else. Uh, this industry, the turf industry, is very touchy feely. You know. The majority of people got in this industry because they can't spell very well or they can't count very well. So they're very much hands-on. So I think it's very important to uh, align education with actually what they're doing. That knowledge that you share, does it go across other disciplines, you know, outside greenkeeping? Do you speak to groundsmen, anybody from the IOG? Um, not right. I've known quite a few landscape uh, guys that I know. Um, it's funny enough, I, years ago I used to do my National Interper in, Intermediate Diploma with the IOG, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm just really, I get so absorbed in golf and what happens in golf and the network of friends and colleagues I kind of, I kind of run out of time. But sure. I, I would love to do more with the IOG. Just to me, it would be like, so looking at the cricket guys, you know, they're kind of grass really short. You know the football guys and synthetics, and 
you know, I think there's there's a there's a part in the other industries that I think that we can bring into golf. And vice versa, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think I think there's been a problem, uh, maybe a better advertisement of information going from golf to sports turf, yep. but maybe not as much coming back. And I think you know, I think there's a lot to learn. I mean, so, certainly for the stadium guys, dealing with shade and that. You know, it's really, really kind of interesting, um, but I just, I just run out of time. But funny enough, I've done some stuff outside golf, um, coming here, with our other departments. You know, we have HR and accounts, and um, <laughs> you know, F and B, and all sorts of different things. Um, and I've had some. I'm part of the executive team here, so I've actually given work-based scenarios that's actually suited their problems right, and that's been just purely about management of people uh, one of the key things that you would have noticed we were talking about in the exec teams we were talking about morale and motivating yeah. people as you come in you would have seen that there's we have we call it the rose gallery where we every member of this department's got his picture and he's yeah, signed off. Yeah. but that's that's all done in time served order so the guy that's been here the longest is the first person that you see. Right, okay. My pitch is the very last, because I was the last person to join the company, because it was about showing respect and admiring people that have served their time at the club. You know, that cost Was that your initiative? That was, that was one of my yeah, ideas, yeah, okay. and I sort of said to the other departments, just that, I mean, I, it cost me something like seven pounds a pitch, and we got it all done, and it, it looked fantastic. But all the guys feel appreciated, that they feel that, not only appreciated by me, but they're valued by the company. And I think that's one of the key things that I've been able to give to other departments about thinking about, which you want to get the best out of people, but sometimes you need to stop and think about them and think about how, you know, not what you just do for them, but what you do for them and how it makes them feel. We've mentioned about dealings with other departments. We've mentioned about um, outside suppliers and manufacturers giving training. Obviously, part of your role is to deal with those suppliers. Um, I'm assuming that you have responsibility for decisions on kit, etc., but you have to work with the budget, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, notice on the way in, a lot of Toro kit. Um, is there an exclusive deal in place at the moment? Yeah, I mean, uh, I inherited an exclusive deal. Uh, when I was up in G West, we had an exclusive deal uh, with Toro. That's not singling Toro out as the, sure. the, the be all and end all. Um, we kind of look at our needs and that Toro fitted the model, you know, extremely well, and you know, we we bought their equipment. But you know, outside the mowing fleet, we look at other manufacturers um, and bringing different elements into you know how we do things, which is sort of really key. I I have some really good strong relationships with the likes of uh, Charterhouse and uh, Wiedemann on aeration equipment. Yeah. Um, some of the product companies like Everest. Sheriffs. So you keep yourself educated on what's available. Yes. And I assume that means that if you at some point decided that there was a better piece of kit to do the job you need to do, for whatever reason that is, you've got the ability to move away from that exclusive agreement yeah, at some point? Yeah, we, we do, we do. But I mean, also to give, say, Toro an opportunity, we can say to them, look, this is the configuration I want to, to do, and this is why I want to do it. And sometimes they can turn around and say, well, look, we can do something that's not run-of-the-mill, but yeah. we can do the setup that you want. And, and that's really what I want to do, is have the best materials, the best products to produce the best playing surfaces that we can.
And because of our testing process, you know, a lot of these now that we can actually test straight afterwards, we can check or we can use a product and we can make a very quick assessment. Actually, is it making a difference or not making a difference? And I think that's kind of key that with us running forward, I can't afford for us to make a mistake because uh, we're kind of time conscious. So I need to make sure that every decision that we make is the right one. Um, going forward, it's kind of frightening to sort of think that I can't afford to make a bad decision. But if you've got a good research structure in place, then you sort of think, well, I can eliminate making a silly mistake. And I think that's the key thing. We might make a decision, go with a program, but the weather goes against us. That we'll just have to share sure. Throughout this interview, there's been a really strong theme of education, um, lessons learned. What what mistakes have you made, if any, that you're prepared to share with us, Lee, um, that you've learned a real lesson from? Um, uh, I guess probably the the key lesson that I've learned, and you know, mistakes that I've made, and and I still make mistakes today, um, is about probably managing people, and not everyone is managed the same you know as much as i could be really tolerant uh, one day the next day i could be very intolerant but i'm still the same character and that's very much with with working with people that you know that and you have to kind of change your approach and i guess what i what i've really learned is through through mistakes is learning to approach people and maybe listen first and maybe pick up telltale signs before I, I, I give them a course of action that I want them to address. Okay, well, the guys are coming back from lunch now by the sounds of it, so we've got a bit of noise in the background, so we just apologise for that. Um, you've learned your lessons, education, looking forward, is there a goal that you've set yourself in terms of what you'd like to achieve in, in the turf industry? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I want to get any more letters out before I know. Uh, I don't think they can get a business card big enough. No, I think it, originally my goal was I kind of wanted to um, achieve the status of golf course manager. I've done that. And it was, I kind of wanted to measure my skills and ability, and I undertook the Master Greenkeeper and I undertook other education because I kind of wanted to, to, to know all, all the different attributes. And this really set a trend. So then, you know, I've done my master's, but, but not my thesis mm -hmm. at, at Cranfield during the, the construction of growing. And then, you know, bit by bit, you sort of think, well, I've done that, I can stop now. And then, uh, just before I left uh, Scotland, uh, I've done my. GCSAA, the Certified Golf Course Attendance Award, and I, uh, and I kind of mm. done that, and I thought, oh, it'd be really good, and uh, you know, I spoke to a couple of people, had, has anyone done all three, because the Canadian had one as well, and, and no. so that was then a goal of, right, I'll work towards that, because why not, you know, um, and now I've done all of them, I kind of feel that mm. I've kind of got to a bit of an element where I kind of plateau, not stop learning but maybe I don't I can't do another qualification because I've kind of done most of them after 30 years of going to workshops going to evening classes going to talks going to conferences going to other golf courses I think 
you know, there's a widely held belief, certainly in this country, that you know, turf care in the UK actually leads the world in terms of across all disciplines. Given your experience, would you now think that it's perhaps right for you to put something back and, and share that knowledge, given the opportunity to you know, more people across the world, yeah. internationally, globally? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think it's quite interesting perception. Some people sort of feel that the US leads the world. I think they certainly lead the world as turf research, you know, without yeah. a doubt. Um, applying the culture of managing turf, I think the UK is, is pretty much up there, and I think that is very much recognised the world the world over, and I think that's really important. Um, I kind of think that I, I'm continually giving back. A part of my journey um, has been to you know to uh, a, a taught at Marist College and um, Nescott College, and I do all the marking for MPTC for the irrigation, um, and I've done the FCMI. I kind of, I guess I enjoy more the education helping others now because I'm challenging their beliefs all the time. So it's like, so why do you think that? Why do you want to do that? And, and I guess part of me sort of thinks, well, they ought to know that, but they don't have the value of, you know, 25 plus years of education. Sure. And 30 years of experience where I've been there and I've seen it and I've kind of, you know, um, felt it and or experienced it myself. So I think it's, I think it's key. Lee, fascinating, really fascinating interview. Thank you for that. We have one last question that we, we ask everybody and feel free to uh, not be back on it if you want. But it's uh, our Turf Business TV question, which goes something like this. Who looks after the turf at home, the lawn, the grass? Um, what are they used to look after it with? Uh, no one, because <laughs> it's like a jungle. Uh, I still do it. I cut, I cut the grass, but I probably cut it back once every two months, and I just use like a, a push rotary. That's okay. about as much as I do. <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. When I very started first out in the industry, uh, the first um, uh, house that I had, I had the front lawn, and I dug it all up, recycled it, and I used to mow it like a golf green. But once I've done it and I could achieve it, I kind of got bored of it. And I don't know whether that's because then I got to the point of um, managing my own golf course that kind of that uh, uh, achieved that goal because I'm managing 18 holes. Why would I want to manage a lot of yeah. coaches stand at that? Yeah, so, uh, yeah well, it's certainly a lot easier on a ride on than it is with a, with a push behind. So, but uh, no, no, no. It's just uh, it's, like, it's a bit of a jungle, to be fair. Lee, thank you very much.